It is good to be back with you this morning after being away uh, last week. And I, I heard that Christy Labarge was with you last week and um, that she offered some condolences to, to the Dodger fans um, and said that she would provide pastoral care in a way that I couldn't as a Padre fan. I'm going to be calling her up later this afternoon uh, my, myself. So I... I'm glad that she was here, uh, and it was it was good to be away. We took a, a week off from Romans last week, and uh, this morning we're diving back into Romans. Really, we only have um, two more weeks that will be in this series, and it's kind of wild to think through. I was, I was looking about how many weeks we've spent in Romans this year, and um, it's it's nearly half the year we have been in the book of Romans. So you should have it memorized um, by, by by now. Uh, I spent some time this last week reviewing what we have, have covered, and d- during the series, there's just a, a couple, a, a couple of, of themes that I want to kind of remind us of that come up throughout the letter. First is the, the righteousness of, of God. Throughout the letter, Paul reminds his, his readers that God's wrath and God's judgment are on the opposite side of God's mercy and God's grace. God's wrath and God's judgment are on the opposite side of the same coin of God's mercy and grace. And it's all used by God to restore a right relationship with God's people. That's what being righteous with God means, that we are made right with God. Second is justification. The reality that we've all sinned, that none of us is perfect, and that we are all completely reliant on grace. Every time we gather for a communion on, on Sunday morning, every month we say a prayer of confession, and we do that not to heap guilt on one another, but to say, yeah, sin exists, and, and we're all fallible. We're all fallible. Then the faithfulness of God. God has a plan, and God remains faithful to us, even when we fall short, even when we turn our back on his plan, that God remains faithful to God's people. And lastly, our identity. If we want to be the people of God uh, in a way that God has called us to be, we need to recognize that we have been adopted as God's sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ, is, is the phrase that Paul used. And the identity we're given by the gospel isn't just about our destination. It's not only about heaven. It's not only about the afterlife. Being co-heirs with Christ should define how we live each and every day. Not just how we function here as a church, but how we, we function the rest of our lives as well. So these four themes, righteousness, justification, faithfulness, identity, they kind of come up over and over again throughout the book of Romans. And it's really about Paul saying to followers of Christ, this is how you should function in the world. Here's the reminders that you need as you, you live in the world. He, folds, he holds fast to these four themes as he heads toward the conclusion of what he writes to the church in Rome. And that's where we're going to be today and where we're going to be next week. Today we see that Paul calls the church in Rome to be a united body. But it wasn't just about their own survival. That's not why he called them to unity. Paul wants to emphasize the reality that if we want to thrive as a church in a complex world, and the world in which we live is incredibly complex, it was then as well, if we want to thrive in that world, we need to come together around the goal of glorifying God in all that we do. It's not about survival. It's about glorifying God. We need to come together around the idea of glorifying God. And we can do that by striving to have one mind, one voice, while clinging to one hope. 
So the first five verses of Romans 15 focus on, on building one another up. Uh, on, on offering encouragement to one another. And that theme continues through the rest of the chapter. Picking up here at verse 5, we read this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles. Rejoice with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations in him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 2014, I had the opportunity to be a commissioner to our denomination's General Assembly, which is the, the national gathering that makes decisions that, that impact just about every area of our church life together. The assembly, it takes place every two years, and there, there's usually at least a handful of contentious issues, usually involving how the church exists, how the, the church is supposed to function, how it interacts with, with one another, how we interact with other church bodies, and how it exists in the world in which we live. In 2014, there were quite a few churches wrestling with leaving the denomination, and those of you who were here at Westminster during that time know exactly how difficult and painful those conversations were. I have friends who left the denomination, friends who stayed, and the most recent challenges and divisions we've, we've faced are just the latest in a long line of challenges that Presbyterianism in America has faced. Now, there were a handful of conversations and presentations at the assembly that I don't think I will ever forget. There's a lot about the assembly I assure you I have forgotten. <laughs> but, but there's a handful of, of conversations that took place that, that I'm sure I will, I will never forget. And, and one was, was one of the first sermons I heard during General Assembly. It was delivered by a pastor who had been a longtime pastor uh, in, in the Presbyterian Church predating the PCUSA. So he had seen a lot. He shared decisions that were made that he agreed with, and then he listed a litany of decisions that were made with which he disagreed. He was a seasoned pastor. Again, he had seen a lot. And after listening, to, after listing, excuse me, each disagreement that he had been a part of, each conversation that he had been a part of where he, where he didn't agree with what the outcome was, he, he had this line. He said, I didn't agree, but I didn't leave the table. I didn't agree, but I didn't leave the table. It became this rallying cry over and over again. Every time he repeated the phrase, the, the congregation in the convention center in Detroit got louder and louder and louder. I remember thinking it was a good sermon. But I also remember thinking something along the lines of, geez, if we're defining the table by those who are in this room, we have way too small of a table. We have way too small of a table. 
The kingdom of God exists here on earth, and it's made up of churches of all kinds of different shapes and sizes from all kinds of different denominations. And you know what? We all need one another. We all need one another. The church in Rome to which, which Paul was writing was a church full of people with different backgrounds. They needed one another, not just to survive. I want you to hear this, not just to survive, but in order for God to be glorified in their context. In order for God to be glorified in their context. Over the last eight years since that day in 2014, the, the chasm in our churches has only grown. The gap between conservative and progressive churches has gotten bigger. The pain is more palatable. Many more folks have just given up on the church altogether in the midst of it. As a mentor of mine used to say, we've, we've learned to major in the minors and forgotten how to follow Jesus along the journey. So in the last two chapters of Romans, Paul is telling the church in Rome that they need one another. That even though they had a Jewish background, some of them had Jewish background, some of them had a, a Gentile background, that they needed to focus on the unity they had in Christ. And they needed that if they were to thrive. In verses 5 and 6 of this chapter, he invites them to get on the same page by being of one mind. He, he writes, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The point wasn't about avoiding arguments or avoiding those, those difficult conversations. He wasn't suggesting that we just sweep them under the rug. In fact, if we remember back to, to Romans 14, because you all have Romans memorized by now, right? If I stop and say, hey, what happened in Romans 14? You'd all just call it out. I'm joking. It's okay. We're not going to do it. In Romans 14, though, you remember, he, he says, hey, some of you follow the Sabbath this way. Some of you follow it that way. Some of you take it on this day. Some of you take it on that day. Some of you eat these food and some of you don't. He's not saying don't have those conversations about Sabbath. Don't have those conversations about food. He's saying, yeah, have those conversations. The church in Rome wouldn't endure if they focused on those conversations being the thing. They wouldn't find a way forward. If they focused on their differences, they would crumble. They needed to learn to live together with them. It's something that we need to learn to do today as well. He writes the same sort of thing to the church in Philippi, which, which gives us the idea of, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. The same thing that Paul was addressing to many of his churches is the same thing that we're struggling today. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, we read, Make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Asking the people in the churches in Rome and Philippi to be of one mind wasn't asking them to ignore their differences. Instead, it was an invitation to think with one another as they approached the challenges of their day through one lens, and that lens is, how does this glorify God? 
How, how does our decision glorify God? So this might come as a shock to, to you, but Haley, my wife, and I don't always see eye to eye. Might come as a shock, especially when it comes to parenting our three kids. We, we don't always have the same uh, solution. She might say something to one of them that I don't agree with, or, or I might be hard on them about one thing that, that she doesn't think I should be hard on them about. But, but if we're going to be effective in our parenting, we have to come to terms with our differences. We, we, we have to, the, the reality is we, we had different upbringings ourselves. We came from, from different backgrounds. The way she was raised was different than the way that I was raised. We have different strengths. We have different weaknesses. But our whole family is better off when we take the time to talk about them and to get on the same page. It's the same in the church. When there's confusion, whether it's about roles or decision-making or how we relate with the rest of the world, we can't allow those differences to distract us from pointing others toward Jesus. If we want to thrive in today's world, we have to learn to be of one mind. And we also need to learn how to have one voice. If one mind is a phrase that focuses on how things look inside the house, a picture of internal harmony, one voice is how that picture looks outside to the public. It's the way we collectively express what we believe. I'll never uh, forget what it was like to sit down for my, my first and only music theory class in high school. I grew up singing in choirs. I know that's a shock to some of you. Um, I, I grew up singing in church choirs. I played multiple interests. The, the youth group sitting over here saying, we've heard you play guitar. You know you didn't. Um, I, I did. I, I, I grew up playing music. I grew up around music. And, and when I was a junior in high school, the district came to the high school and said, hey, we want to try this, 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 this thing with you. We want to offer you a college-level music theory class after school. So I'd show up in my football pants to music theory. And I learned that I'm not a musician. I should say, I learned the limits of my musicianship. Within the first day, I learned that I had just enough of an ear to be dangerous, but not one, not one to be consistently effective. To this day, whether it's my 10-year-old practicing piano or flute, or it's me picking up the guitar, I can tell when something's off. I can tell when something's off, but I, I can't tell how to make it better. I can't figure it out on my own. So I guarantee that if, if Ed and, and, and Pavel and I sat down in a room and we, we tried to, to listen to the same song and we, or we watched a live performance together, we would hear different things. They'd hear all the no, notes and the differences and I'd be able to say, hey, something's off. Something's off. And Ed would say, yeah, it's the tenor singing the second part. He, he, would, he would know what it was. A friend of mine who was a professional violist once said that the perfect pitch can be a blessing and a curse because she couldn't hear the one voice or message of a song. All she could hear was what was off. She was distracted by what was off. When the church approaches the world with a multitude of voices, some louder than others, some sharper, some out of place, some out of tune, the message of Christ gets diluted. We as Westminster need to think, what is our message? What's our voice? 
Many of Paul's letters remind us that the way Christians disagreed with one another is more important than what they disagreed about. What would it look like if instead of hearing a multitude of voices, the Conejo Valley heard a united voice from WPC? Think of the impact we would have on the kingdom of God. What if we earnestly ended all of our disagreements with, I know we don't see eye to eye on this issue or on everything, but no matter what, we're going to commit to working together toward introducing people to Jesus. Paul is about bringing the Romans to a place where they are glorifying God in all that they do. It's at the heart of this letter. And that's accomplished when they unite their mind and they unite their voice. In verses 7 through 12, he he continues. Remember, some folks had a Jewish background. Some people had a a Gentile background. and And he continues to pull from the Hebrew scripture to say, here's how this looks. Here's how you get on the same page with one another. The unity of Jews and Gentiles was always a part of God's covenant plan. He pulls from the Hebrew scripture to remind them of that reality. Then in verse 13, he writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The joy and peace that he's talking about is only made available when we place our trust in the God of hope. When we actively depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to to bring us together in the midst of all the differences that we have. Now, depending on the the Holy Spirit is hard, a hard concept for for many of us to grasp. It's like the the Spirit is this this nebulous thing. We can we can grasp the Father, we can grasp the Son, but the the Spirit is this nebulous thing. Especially for for Presbyterians, uh, the frozen chosen, it is hard for us. But toward the end of Romans eight, Paul clarifies its role. We, we talked about this uh, a couple months ago. The Spirit, he writes, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Again, it's about the will of God. It's about glorifying God. And when we don't know how to do that, we are completely dependent on the Spirit. The Spirit intercedes for us when we don't have words, and it fills us when we don't have hope. Paul's message to the church in Rome, it's not about surviving. It's not. It's about glorifying God. And friends, I think if we're honest with ourselves, and we should be, Many of us in established churches get caught up in survival. The world we live in is increasingly difficult. It's increasingly complex. And many of us like simplicity. We like predictability. We like stability. The things that church has represented for a long, long time. But the church, both us here at Westminster and the broader church in general, weren't created just to survive. It was created to bring God's glory. We sang it earlier, the the bride of Christ, to bring God's glory, to be the vessel that shares God's love in a, a broken and hurting world. So may we be a community that lives into that calling, who's always are looking to expand the table. 
beyond what's comfortable as we work toward living with one mind, one voice, and leaning on one hope. Can we do that? Let's pray. Gracious God, it's, it's so easy to allow our differences to distract us from following you. Help us to be a church that focuses on, on following Jesus and on pointing others to Jesus. And God, as we journey together, we thank you for the ways that you encourage us, that you remind us that we don't journey alone. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.